0: Hello and welcome once again to Wellbeing. Our program is aimed mainly at the women today, although I'm sure there's a lot of men who may find some of the answers interesting. Why do their wives and or partners tend to want the windows open day and night, have disturbed sleep patterns, where once they would sleep all the night? Well, it's possible they're going through menopause. With me today is Dr. Chris Jerjitz, Medical Coordinator with the Family Planning, New South Wales, Newcastle Clinic. Chris, thank you for coming in and giving us your time. Tell me, what exactly is menopause?
1: Um, Menopause literally is when your periods stop. So it's the cessation of menopause. I guess as far as our, and that's on average 45 to 55 years, but I guess what I should say straight away is as far as the symptoms go, these often do begin before our periods finish and in fact about a third of women have significant symptoms while they still have periods.
0: So by symptoms, do you mean hot flushes and general discomfort in themselves?
1: Absolutely. Hot flushes, palpitations, sweats, mood changes.
0: When we, that happens to us and we're not in menopause, can we blame that on it?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and I think this is something in the past that I often used to see women at family planning who'd come in and say, well, I have all these symptoms and I've been to the doctor and he says my hormone levels are normal. Um, and it was thought that it wasn't menopause, therefore. Mm. But we now know that, well, when your periods stop is not just one day. An mm. ovary doesn't just turn off. It varies. And I often say to women that going through menopause is a bit like adolescence backwards. Oh, okay. Okay. So some women, uh, I have two or three annoying friends like this, their periods just get less and less over time and then they stop and they say things like, I do think I feel a little hot sometimes and I do think it's taking me slightly longer to get aroused while other people have all sorts of chaos. Mm. So we can you can have women who miss periods, so they'll go two or three months and then have very heavy bleeding. Um, you can have irregular bleeding. And, you know, women will even stop for six, eight months and think it's all over and then it'll start again. So it's a bit of a roller coaster ride, really. So
0: it's basically a change in hormones that yeah. causes all of this. Yeah. You mentioned that it usually happens between the ages of 45 and 55. Yeah. Are there many women that it starts before 40?
1: Not a lot. Um, 40 to 45 is sort of called early. Mm. Um, if it's before 40, it's premature. I guess a large group of the people who have surgery, you know, radiotherapy or surgery for, say, for breast cancer typically. If you have your ovaries removed, you go into a sudden and severe menopause. It's probably the worst way to do it mm. there are a few women who have genetic things it can be caused by autoimmune diseases so there is a spread of um causes
0: mm. you mentioned that the, some of the symptoms are hot flushes and and irritability that sort of thing does that go away once the the periods have finished completely
1: Unfortunately, no. There's a huge variability. Um, Some women hardly ever get any symptoms. The most common thing is for the symptoms to last two or three years Mm. and then gradually settle down, you know, treatment or no treatment. But a significant proportion of women continue to have symptoms throughout their lifetime.
0: Is it often the case that women who have mild symptoms of menopause tend to have a greater problem with osteoporosis, or is this a, a myth?
1: Um, I have no idea of that being the case. I've certainly never read anything about it. So they don't necessarily follow? No. Osteoporosis
0: is one no. and menopause is the other?
1: Well, um, certainly once we go through menopause, you know, we build up our bones in our youth. Um, and twenties, um, thirties, and then we start to gradually lose bone mass and just after menopause for the first few years, we lose a bit more you know five seven yeah. percent a year for a few years, and then it levels out again um, so menopause certainly increases osteoporosis if you don 't take any hormones, and even if you do, that just <coughs> delays that loss until you stop mm. but there are many causes for osteoporosis mm. you know there's a genetic tendency which can be very strong there's your diet there's your exercise there's how much alcohol you drink siggies um, for sure there's various diseases so and i mean it's the same for all the risks in menopause as well mm. you know that there are multiple unfortunately multiple factors So it's quite difficult to say this causes that.
0: How long after the periods have stopped is a woman still fertile?
1: Well, there's a rule of thumb, customary rule, which is that you should continue using contraception for about 12 months after your periods stop, Mm. just to make sure if you're over 50 Mm. and probably for two years if you're under. The fertility of women in the in that sort of age group, you know, mm. um, forty five onwards, is only a couple of percent a year. Mm. So the you know your chances of getting pregnant are fairly low anyway. But it is a devastating thing when it happens. I <laughs> can <laughs> oh, imagine. Yeah.
0: If a, a woman has been taking the pill mm-hmm. as a form of contraception, should she continue with that, or should she? Try some other form of contraception?
1: Um, It depends on her risk factors. Um, If a woman is on the pill and she has no risk factors for the pill, she's got a normal blood pressure she's thin, she's a non-smoker, she doesn't have a family history of strokes or, you know, an increased risk of clots and so on, then it is fine for her to stay on the pill till about the age of 50. And it is actually quite good because often, as I was saying before, women will get this heavy bleeding um, in the perimenopause and this is well controlled by the pill. Um, sometimes better controlled than it is by the traditional hormone replacement. So until the age of 50, if you rule out risk factors, I usually do a blood test as well to check on their cholesterol and other fats and their blood sugar because that can be a hidden risk factor. Mm. Take a history, check the blood pressure. But otherwise, staying on the pill till 50 is fine and will control your symptoms. And it's only a very few women who'll get a few flushes in that pill-free week.
0: So it's generally a case of continue life, much as you've been doing, but allowing for the fact that you do need to open doors and windows in the middle of the winter.
1: (laughs) If you're one of the symptomatic people, that's right.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing, and my guest today is Dr. Chris Jerjitz. I understand, Chris, that there's a number of ways that the symptoms of menopause can be controlled or helped. And as well as taking the pill or continuing to take the pill, there's also hormone replacement therapy, HRT. How does that work?
1: Well, I, I have to stop you here, Iris. You're, you're a bit out of, out of kilter here. You're not being modern enough. used to be called HRT. Oh, okay. So the I- initial theory was, from observation, we knew that women before menopause had less heart attacks and strokes. Hmm. So we knew that oestrogen had a protective function. And that after menopause, that rate increased. And in fact, it's, you know, a leading cause of death in women, much more common than breast cancer. And so the initial idea of hormone replacement was saying, look, a few thousand years ago, menopause was at 40. So women are living much longer. And once they lose their hormones, once they go through menopause, they are in a state of lack of hormones, which is unnatural. Mm. Yes. So it was called hormone replacement therapy. After the kerfuffle in 2002, which I wouldn't mind talking about, um, it became known as hormone therapy. So now, because of the scare, which was mostly unnecessary and caused thousands of women to cease their their medication and go Mm. through terrible symptoms... It's now called hormone therapy, and in general it's recommended that it only be prescribed for women with severe symptoms, four symptoms.
0: Okay, so you said just now you wanted to enlarge on on that thing. Tell me about it.
1: Well, I think what happened was that what was advertised, there was a large study held in America called the Women's Health Initiative, and it was stopped after five years. And the headlines were screaming things like increased rates of heart attack or stroke or so on. Mm. And they were saying the the rates are increased by a third. Now, that one third, three, so it was a three, you know, three mm. times three. more common. And when you looked at the stats, for instance, the one third increase was from 30 per 10,000 women to 38 per 10,000 women. Mm. Now, that's nowhere near your 1%. You that's know? right. So I thought it was very irresponsible Mm. and so on. And often the stats are put like that, you know, that it's like the old story of, you know, double the risk. If your initial risk is one in a million, double the risk is pretty scary. Mm. But two in a million doesn't sound So, so bad. That's right. So, uh, you know, that was a big issue for a lot of women, and even more so because um the the trial I'm referring to was actually a trial to see whether they could prevent heart disease, and it contained women aged from 50 to uh, 70. So, mm-hmm. women far past the age that you would, you know, normally initiate hormone mm-hmm. replacement. And so, and some of those women were diabetic, were hypertensive, smoked cigarettes. So um, the, they were women at higher risk, say, of mm. the heart problems the, and, and stroke and so on. So that um, there was an increased rate in these things in the first couple of years in those women. But when you actually take the data of the women who started at the time of menopause out mm. in that trial... The figures go back very much to where we thought they were. In fact, in some cases, they're not as bad as we thought they were. So what they're now saying is they think that there's this critical window to for prevention. This is the current theory. And that when you start women on hormone replacement at the time of menopause, right, yeah. that you continue to protect the blood vessels and that they do get that heart stroke, maybe dementia protection that we originally seen in the observational studies. Whereas if you leave it a few years when once they have disease and their arteries have degenerated, then the estrogen, which makes the blood thicker and more clottable, will actually cause an increase women yeah. that stopped, have actually missed that window. You know, if you stopped in 2002 yeah. and you come in and see me and say, oh, gee, I hear it wasn't so bad after all, maybe I should go back on it. I'm going to go, mm, I don't know if I want to put you back on it now. Mm. Your blood mm. pressure's gone up, your cholesterol's too high, you haven't taken any for a while. So, you know, yeah. maybe some women have actually missed out on a long-term benefit. Mm.
0: So what's the risk between hormone therapy and breast cancer?
1: Well, that's another one of these, um, these issues. I mean, breast cancer in the Australian community is very common. You know, it's, mm. I don't know, one in 11 lifetime risk, something like that. So a lot of women who've never taken hormone replacement therapy get breast cancer. Yeah. Right? And the increase in risk, again, is fairly small. In fact, you know, it's been calculated that the risk is very tiny and doesn't start to increase for the first four years and after that it's only increasing at, at less than 0.1 of a percent a mm. year so you know it's not a big increase in risk nevertheless every woman you meet who's ever taken hormones who gets breast cancer will say it was caused by the by hormones mm. but of course you know some of them were maybe Grew faster, mm. the estrogen sensitive ones. But again, there are many factors. Women who have more than two drinks a day have an increased risk in breast cancer, about the same as taking hormone replacement. Mm. Women whose menopause is later have an increased risk. You know, there are many factors, and hormone replacement therapy is just one of them. In fact, one of the um, interesting things that um, doesn't get mentioned a lot is in women who've had. A hysterectomy and their ovaries removed, mm. who therefore only take one hormone, in the trial mm. um, seem to have less breast cancer, which is a surprise, yeah. you know, and something that certainly didn't feature on the front page of any newspaper mm. I saw.
0: Having a, a hysterectomy doesn't necessarily mean that the ovaries have been removed anyway, does it? No. It depends on each circumstance.
1: It does. Yeah. So sometimes women just have the womb removed and mm. the ovaries left, and sometimes you have both the womb and the ovaries mm. removed, and that makes a difference. How is hormone therapy
0: administered?
1: Well, it can be administered in many ways. It can be orally by tablets is the most common. There's patches, there's creams, there's implants, there's nasal sprays. I think they're going off the market because mm. not a lot of women took to those. So there's many different ways to take mm. it.
0: And I guess it depends completely on the woman, her how she reacts to one type or the other?
1: Well, most women are started on oral. Mm-hmm. Um, the the hormone, I guess one area we haven't covered is, you know, the hormone replacement is very good for hot flushes mm-hmm. and for sometimes for the sort of um, mood changes, hot flushes, sweats, palpitations and mm-hmm. so on. Also in the urogenital area, so, you know, after menopause we get a drier, thinner vagina mm-hmm. um, and the bladder area, so that is um, improved by urogenital using estrogen but you can also get joint pains and Mm. crawling sensations under the skin and you know this and and of course the bone issues but mainly to come back to your question i'm sorry i'm wandering (laughs) around a bit aren't i Um, mainly tablets if the woman has side effects with tablets then you can use some of the non-oral methods also the sometimes the non oral methods are a good idea from a medical point of view, um, certainly, if you have things like liver problems or a tendency to clotting, then it appears it 's safer or raised lipids it 's safer to use non oral methods, so patches or creams or implants be an option.
0: Is there a, a finite time when, after so many years you 've got to come off, or can you take it indefinitely?
1: Well, most women only need it for two or three years, Mm. so I get women to have a go at either halving it or slowing it down, though I always do say HRT controls most hot flashes. You still get a few breakthroughs, you know. call it the hots, you know, hot food, hot temperature, hot temper, hot day, hot drinks, you know, all those sort of things can give you a few breakthrough mm. flushes. So um, I always get women to have a go, providing they're not in a position of high stress to have a go at ceasing after two or three years time just to see what happens. But as I said before, there's a good percentage of women who every time they stop, get their symptoms back. Mm. And some of those want to and do take them for the rest of their life. The main risks of things like clots and strokes, which is the most sort of persistent side effect, mm. whether you're taking estrogen alone or estrogen and progesterone, is most likely to happen in the first two years. Okay. And so in the longer term, a lot of those risks decrease. Mm. And also these days we try to use the lowest possible dose. Mm. You know, so okay. some women take half the dose and... Certainly, it looks like in the long term, they might be the fortunate ones.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. And today I'm talking to Dr. Chris Jairjitz. Chris, menopause usually occurs at about the age of 45 to 55. Do you, in the course of your practice, do you see women looking at themselves as going downhill? as the end of an era and start getting depressed because of the nesting time are over and...
1: Certainly a hard time for most women, isn't it? 45 to 55, your parents are often getting older and needing help, your children are causing you problems, you've got a job, you know, there's a lot of things going on Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're getting older and in our society certainly starting to get a few wrinkles. and So there are all those issues. Of itself, this is quite a contentious area doesn't appear that menopause of itself causes depression, mm. okay? There are certainly lots of things in the life of a woman in her 40s and 50s that might make her depressed. And I think if you have a past history of depression, you may indeed be more likely to have an episode of mm. depression. And if that is so, then the hormone replacement therapy is not going to deal with it. You're still going to need to either your usual treatment or to look at those issues, get counselling or drug therapy. On the other hand, there's a group of women, you know, part of menopause is these mood changes, you know, mood, agitation, lack of concentration, lack of memory, agitation. And I have women who come in who have no hot flushes, but who are in the age group, right? Maybe their periods are a bit off and they say, look, I'm just dreadful, I'm depressed, I feel awful, it's the menopause. Now, there isn't good published data to say definitely yes or no on that. But in a rare case, having, you know, done all the initial examinations and tests and so on, I will actually sometimes try someone on HRT, if the symptoms have started at the same time as other things that could be menopause, mm. and if there isn't a previous history, then there is a percentage of women who felt depressed, agitated, unhappy, anxious, panic attacks, who just, they come back after two or three months, and they say, oh, thank God, Chris, I'm myself again. Mm. So it's very and much an individual it thing. It is an individual it's, thing. Yeah. And then there's another group that come back and say, I say, how are you going? And they say, oh, I don't know. Oh, my breasts have been a bit sore and, you know, I, I, I don't know if I feel better or not. And I think that solves the problem. They aren't going to take it. Mm. So, and, and that brings me to something we haven't mentioned, which is, and that's because there is no, you know, while you are still having intermittent bleeding, um, there is no blood test that absolutely proves you have gone through menopause. You know, you know, on Friday I had a lady come in saying, I've come to have the blood test to know if I have menopause or not. And she'd been having periods every, you know, three months and then nothing for four months and then a couple of fortnight apart. And, of course, a blood test doesn't help that at all.
0: So if you are doing a blood test, just following that up, what are you actually looking
1: for? Well, when I'm doing a blood test for women around menopause, I'm checking, as I said, their cholesterol. I'm checking their blood sugar. I might be checking their thyroid gland. Or, you know, I've taken a history. Mm. So I'm looking for other things that can make people flush. Mm. I mean, we do have these wonderful lists for, you know, menopausal to score yourself. And um, I'm a bit of an anti-list person. And I do remember at one stage, you know, cutting off the top that said menopause a symptom list, and handing it out at our youth drop-in clinic and finding that something like 60% of them were scoring the right numbers in the under-25 group. So, you know, (laughs) the symptoms are not always all that specific. The
0: youngsters sort of uh, show surprise when you told them what you were
1: looking for? I didn't tell
0: them. (laughs) Chris, we've, we've been talking about prescribing medication for menopause, what about herbal or natural medication? How do you feel about that?
1: Well, this is a somewhat contentious area. There certainly are available, mm. but there are naturally occurring estrogens, isoflavones, and they're sold at, at um health food shops. Mm. They there's been some good trials on some of those showing that they don't help very much. Mm. They help some, Um, This is the sort of naturally occurring things. If you have mild symptoms, they can decrease your flushes very Mm. minimally. There's a black cohosh, which is a non-hormonal treatment, Mm. which is... um, been used in Germany for many years and that's an alternative for women who don't want to or can't take hormones and that certainly has some helpful effect in some women but there's been a somewhat disturbing um, report that it can occasionally it's also been used in prostate problems in men and occasionally one in 10,000 to one in 100,000 people have this idiosyncratic individual allergy response, where they get liver failure, like bad. And there's no way to predict that. So there's been a bit of publicity about that, and that's discouraged women. Mm. But so (laughs) there was a scientific officer with the Menopause Society about 20 years ago who went round the health food shops and got all this stuff, natural, Mm. natural progesterone, wild yam cream, all of those things, and took them back to her laboratory, 30-odd, And, you know, eight had no hormone at all Mm. and another dozen had mm, homeopathic doses of one or the other, often not the one stated. I think one of the progesterone creams only had estrogen. And there was a little worrying group where they were taking, you know, three times more than I would ever give anyone. Mm. She never connected names because of legal issues. But it's a bit of a worry. Like some of these things obviously will work. But if they're made um, by compounding chemists um, or if they're, you know, being brought from overseas, Mm -hmm. not as drugs but as um, food, you know, under the legislation, you don't know what you're taking. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, in regard to these alternative, so some of them are probably fine but it's just the issue that you don't know what you're on. You know, one of the issues in hormone replacement is that if you have a uterus, you need you take estrogens for your symptoms, yes, mm. for your genital, urinary, your general symptoms. Protect your bones. So the issue is that you need adequate progesterone mm. to protect mm. the womb from endometrial cancer, from cancer of the womb. That's mm. why we take the progesterone. Mm in the combined hormone replacement. And the trouble with some of these medications is they haven't, you know, you're not sure if they're getting enough of the right dose mm. to achieve. So that's a bit of a worry. Also, there are these, you know, sort of clinics that uh, talk about tailoring your individual things and doing salivary oestrogen measurements. And the only unfortunate thing about that is there's no correlation between blood levels and saliva levels.
0: So they still really don't know.
1: Well, there isn't a correlation, yeah. so yeah. Uh, you know it's it's a little bit of a worry. I mm. I won't write scripts for a lot of those alternative things, and um, because I'm just not sure of what mm. I would be giving the person. Mm. There there has been some tests on, say, progesterone cream overseas in America. There's one available that's been properly tested, but a lot of what is handed out is goodness knows, mm.
0: Chris. People come to see you at the Family Planning Clin- Association a clinic. Is there a fee to come and see you there?
1: No, no, it's free. It's a free service. You can make a donation, hmm. but you don't have to, and it's a free service.
0: And is that all over the country? Or just in New South Wales? Oh
1: no, it's all over all the over country. the country.
0: Yes. How about getting more information? Is there a website that we can go to? Uh,
1: yes, there is a website. Um, there's a website from the Australian Menopause Society, and there's also another very good website, Jean Hales. And that's a, an institute in Victoria which um, is doing research and also seeing um, women. And they also have a website www.jeanhales.org.au. And you can get uh, fact sheets and download information.
0: I might just add that Jean Hales is spelled J E A N H A I L E S for that address. The family planning website is www.fpnsw.org.au. Directions from there to other websites Absolutely. if needed. The name of the, the little book that you've got in your
1: hand is Menopause Presenting a Positive Outlook, and that's an update uh, done by the Australian Menopause Society uh, that's available at our clinic or online from the Australian Menopause Society.
0: My guest today has been Dr Chris Jairjitz, Medical Coordinator with Family Planning New South Wales, Newcastle Clinic. Chris, thank you for coming in today and talking to us and thank you for listening. And until the next time we all meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of the team wishing you well.